again, we thank Sister Carly for singing for us and being such a blessing um, to, to have to send us some music. We can enjoy some great praise and worship this, this evening. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 9. Book of Romans, chapter 9. And the book of Romans, chapter 9, is a very interesting chapter. Um, there are several different interpretations of the scripture in Romans, chapter 9. Um, as we've been looking and working through the book of Romans the last few weeks, we saw as we concluded Romans, chapter 8, those famous verses about how the believer is made secure and through being anchored in the love of Christ. We see in Romans 9 a transition. And as we see that transition in Romans 9 and, and Romans 10, Paul has put several chapters here in the middle of the book of Romans that shows a... Uh, concern for Israel that's been uh, marked out basically for the Israel nation. And we see in chapter 12 as we get there, a, a, a sort of a jump back to where we left off in Romans 8. But in Romans 9, we are going to look at verses 1 through 13 this evening. And the Bible says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ, my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. For the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As is written, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Now we're going to look at several things here, uh, what Paul is saying about the nation of Israel. And it relates right back to our Sunday school lesson this morning. But we're also going to apply it to our, our own our own life as being Gentiles and part of the church. And we start out in the book of Romans chapter 9. We see Paul is addressing um, the readers in Rome and talking about how heartbroken he is for the spiritual condition of his people. Now, Paul was a very hardened, rigid individual, as we see before he is saved when he is Saul. Uh, in fact, he sort of cheers on the stoning of Stephen, and, and he, he really persecutes the church. And due to Paul leaving his position as a Pharisee, a lot of the people felt that Paul had turned against his people, the Jews, and had done his own thing. Remember, he is a, the missionary to the Gentiles. So they feel like maybe he's betrayed his own kind. But Paul's really clear. He opens up with, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, to emphasize the fact that he really, his heart is really broken for his people. 
You see, we should also have that same kind of sorrow for our unsaved people. There's people in Hearts, West Virginia, right around our, our church and our community, that are good people, that would give you the, anything you may stand in need of. It would help you out with anything, but they're unsaved. And because of that, if they don't give their lives to God, they're going to die and go to hell one day. And us being the local church, the local assembly, it is our job to reach out with the gospel that they may give their lives to the Lord and be saved. You see, Moses even cried out saying, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee out of thy book which thou hast written. Moses was so concerned with the souls of his people that he was willing to sacrifice himself to give his very life to see his people saved. I want to ask you this evening, what are you willing to give up to see someone saved? If every person, every born-again believer in Jesus Christ reached just one person a year. Imagine how that would multiply the amount of souls that would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying we should settle for that. But what I am saying is, what are you doing? Because too often times people will not allow themselves to be burdened to get the gospel out, to be inconvenienced. There's people who are so excited to get back into churches and to have church services and, and as we should be. But yet they say, well, I'll go, but I'm not going to social distance or I'm not going to wear a mask or I'm not going to stay away from people. And I think, wow, that's not a whole lot of love thy neighbor in that talk. We should be doing whatever we can to get the gospel out, to love each other, to protect each other, to help each other. Your neighbor has a need, and you're a believer. Man, you ought to be ashamed if you ain't fulfilling that need. you got an elderly person that needs groceries that can't drive maybe or something, and you're not bringing them groceries. Listen, you ain't got to be around them. You may be contagious. You don't know. Sit that on their porch, honey, and leave. There's ways to help people. But a lot of times the church isn't doing them. The reason that the church is not as effective as it once was is the church is not living what they're preaching. They preach peace, love, and harmony, but then they go out and they, they bully, they argue over politics, argue over theology, argue over everything coming and going. Things are completely inconsequential. And that's not what the church has been designed to do. The church is supposed to be a lighthouse on the hill showing people Christ-like love that we may draw them to a saving faith with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit should be working through you. And if you are living in a way that does not illuminate Christ, does not point people toward Christ, you aren't doing what you're called to be doing. You may be grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Folks, we should be like Paul, willing to give up everything to see a soul saved. Let me tell you something. If in your opinion, the only way to do that is to be in a church building, then you miss the, you miss the message here. Because technically, the church, which is what the, the, the local assembly is, are made up of people who are already saved. 
They can't be saved again. They've already been saved. But that's who we like to preach to because that's comfortable. True mission work, which is what it takes to evangelize, to reach the lost, takes place outside the walls of a church building. And it can be done by any born-again believer in Jesus Christ, man, woman, or child, regardless of age. And in times of suffering is the most important time sometimes to do that because the field is ripe, the land has been tilled, they're looking for help. They're looking for someone to love them. And we should love them with Christ-like love. See, Paul goes as far as to say he would be willing to cut himself off from Christ that would save the souls of Israel. Now we know no one can be caught up, cut, cut off from Christ. That can't be possibly done. But Paul says, he's talking in a hypothetical here, that he would be willing to allow that to happen if he could save the souls of his countrymen. Yet we're not willing to get out of bed a little bit early, stay up a little bit late, maybe go out when it's cold, go out when it's hot. We're not willing to, to, to do the things that we could do to spread the gospel more effectively. You could have a, a church service in a building and, and have a, a packed house. Then you get ready to deliver food to widows and nobody will show up. And I'm not talking about Mountaineer. I'm talking about the Christian church in general here. I'm talking about the worldwide church of Christ. Because so many people are, they're having, you know, services seven times a week sometimes, these major large churches and in, in, in other areas. Yet what are they doing when they're not in the building? Because that's when you reach the lost, when you're the most affected, when you're not in the building. Are they visiting the sick? Are they praying for people? Are they praying with people? Are they loving the unlovable? Because that's what we've been called to do. See, Paul starts in verse 4, and he lists some of the privileges of being an Israelite. And really what we're talking about here all together is the problem of Jewish unbelief. That's what Paul's concerned with here. As we look at verse 4, Paul starts off by speaking of Israel's adoption. We're not talking about individual individuals adopted into the family of God as we talked about in Romans 8 and verse 15. We're talking about a national adoption here. And it's very different. What God has said in his promises in the Old Testament that Israel is his chosen nation. Not America. You know, we say we're, we're God's, you know, whatever. Uh, and we people talk about how well, America is a nation found on godly values, and it may be. I really don't know. Um, I've taught American history. I see some of it. But to me, people has never changed. Uh, you've always had wicked people. Christian people, good people, bad people. Um, so I don't think it necessarily changed. We just have more TV cameras out there showing us the evil that's going on in our country, the evil that's going on around the world. But with Israel, Israel is adopted as a nation to be God's chosen people. Not only that, but the glory that talks about here is referring to that Shekinah glory that led the Israelites in their wanderings in the wilderness. And Paul mentions the covenants of Israel, the covenant of Abraham, the covenant of Moses, and the covenant of David, that millennial reign covenant. See, these covenants are all theirs despite their failures. Let you sit and think about that for a second. 
because there's another covenant that we didn't just mention. The new covenant. The covenant of grace. You see, we are given a covenant that is not based on our faithfulness. It's based on our faith. Well, let me rephrase that. I don't even want to say it that way. It's based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We receive it by faith. See, we talk about the New Testament. What a testament really is, is a contract. It's a, it's, it's a will. We talk about the last will and testament. It's a contract. Jesus paid the price for our contract. And in the contract, God says that he provided the sacrifice for the sins of mankind, that if we accept it in faith, we receive salvation. And all our sins are washed away, past, present, and future, that we may be saved and have a relationship with him. That is a covenant agreement. Covenant. Takes two parties. God's grace that we receive by faith equals our salvation. It's as simple as that. And a lot of times people say, well, I've not been real faithful. I guess God, i got to you know, do this, do that. Listen. If we all want to be real honest with ourselves, none of us are as faithful as we pretend that we are. Because we all have moments of weakness, we all have moments of stumbling, we all have moments where we're just not proud of the Christian that we've been. And we know we can do better. But here is the beautiful love story to all this. Our relationship with God is not dependent upon that. Our relationship with God starts with God, continues with God, and ends with God, as we saw in Romans chapter 8. So even when Justin Basden is not the best child, I still have an awesome father. And I am secure in him because Jesus' blood never, never fails. It can wash away the most wicked of sin. It can clean the most wickedest of blood off my soul. It, it, it cleanses me from all iniquities because God loves me. And I'm anchored in him. Just as Israel's covenant was not dependent upon Israel's faithfulness, our covenant, our relationship with God, is not dependent on our faithfulness. Or we would lose it over and over and over and over again. See, the Jews... Not the Gentiles, talk with the law in the next section. And the Jews, not the Gentiles, receive that law at Mount Sinai. Isn't it funny that people say that, you know, well, I guess I'll probably get to heaven because I, I'm not told a lie since I got saved, and I've not done this since I got saved, and I've kept all the Ten Commandments since I've got saved. Number one, they probably lied right there because I, I would guarantee they're not keeping all the Ten Commandments. Um, I also would guarantee they're not keeping the law because there's 600 and some parts of the law. But what I would also like to say this morning is the law doesn't even isn't even for the Gentiles. It's presented to the Jews. So as Gentiles, that's not even a relevant conversation. Because we aren't under the law. We came in under grace. We were not part of the law. We were part of grace. Because of the, Jesus, because of the Jews' rejection of Jesus, we had the opportunity to receive him by grace. We never did have the law. 
So this keeping of the law for salvation is irrelevant. Unless, I mean, I guess unless you're Jewish. But even the Jew can't keep the law. And that's why they need Jesus. You see, only the Jews also had a way to approach God in worship through offerings, priesthood, Levitical institutions, all throughout the Old Testament. The Gentiles were viewed as dogs. They were pagans. They worshipped false gods. But the Jews could approach God through the priesthood, through the offerings, through the sacrifice. The priest could enter into that holy of holies and have conversation, fellowship with God. We now receive that by faith. Have you ever thought about that? That if you're saved, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your sin, regardless of where you're at, regardless of whatever, even if you lost your voice, you have constant direct access to the throne room of God anytime you so choose. Yet most Christians neglect to pray very often. I would say all Christians neglect to pray as often as they should. All Christians. I look at my own personal life and I pray regularly, but I think I should still pray more because I'm blessed with opportunity. God also gave Israel the promise of the Messiah and his reign and the glory of the land of Israel. He promised the Redeemer who would come through the tribe of Judah. That Redeemer is Jesus Christ. Yet Jesus, fully Jew through his flesh, is also fully God through his Father. And because of that, Jesus doesn't just belong to the Jew. He belongs to the Gentile. But Paul wants to clarify something very, very clear here when we look at Romans 9, starting in verse 6. And I feel like these are some verses that I wish a lot more people read because... They're left out a whole lot in, in interpretation of prophecy. Because Paul tells us that there's a natural Israel and there's a spiritual Israel. And he's clearly there in verse 6 where he says, not as if the word of God hath taken none effect. The word of God cannot fail. The word of God does is serves its purpose. Every way, every shape, every fashion, every form. The word of God is infallible. It is perfect in every level. And even if you read part, so I don't like what that says. It doesn't matter. God wrote it. So it doesn't matter what we agree with and don't agree with. The word of God settles it out. If it says it in God's word, that is it. And because of that, Paul has to be very clear because a lot of people at this point are saying, well, God's making all these promises to the church. What happened to that covenant with the Jews? Did he just leave that? Did he abandon that? And what about all the people who are dying outside of faith in Christ that are Jewish? Well, Paul tells us the promise was made to Israel, but it's not based on the relationship to Abraham. He tells them that not everyone that is of Israel, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. You see, the promise for the nation, but it's not for all of the nation. Now, I may just blew your mind with that wording right there, because that can get complicated. It's not for all the nation, but it's for the nation. For example, let's say Germany gives America $100 million. 
Germany goes on national TV. They're on CNN. And it comes across. America receives $100 million. Now, that does not mean everyone in America is going to receive $100 million. I mean, the nation of America receives $100 million. They're telling this country won't see a dime of it. That covenant with Abraham was for Israel, the nation of Israel. Not for the individual, every descendant in Israel, every descendant of Abraham, but for the nation as a whole. See, Paul's making a distinction here between national Israel and spiritual Israel. Book of Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7 says, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. So the way that people become children of Abraham is by placing their faith in God. This is Abraham even says, the Bible says Abraham was justified by faith. Paul also makes clear that this comes through Isaac and not Ishmael. Even though they're both of the seed of Abraham. Now, this is where I, some of you also come on board with what I'm trying to say here. Remember, Abraham had two sons. God promised him a son. And then Abraham got tired of waiting. So, well, Sarah got tired of Abraham and got tired of waiting too. Let's not place all the blame on poor Abraham. Sarah also got tired of waiting. So Sarah told Abraham to go to his handmaid, Hagar, her handmaid, Hagar, and to have a child with her. And he did, and they named it Ishmael. So, if we are to say that all the descendants of Abraham are part of the covenant with God, that has to include Ishmael. But I think we all agree that Ishmael obviously was not part of the covenant with God. The Bible shows us that Ishmael did not receive the covenant of Abraham. You see, the children born through the Messiah are the ones that are the children of promise. And we see that in verse 8 where it says, that is... They which are the children of flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. God promised Isaac. Isaac was a child of promise. He was a part of that covenant of Abraham. The way you know who has a part in the covenant of Abraham are those Israelites, those Jews that come to faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way to go to heaven except through Christ. I don't care if you're Israelite. I don't care if your heart's creaking. I don't care if you're a Chapmansville or a Loganite. If you are going to go to heaven, it has to come through and by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not Muhammad, not Allah, not anything else, but Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. The Bible says he is the door of the sheepfold, that he is the way to the Father, that no man can come to the Father except through him, he is the way. He is the truth. He is the light. Jesus. Yeah, he is the unblemished Lamb of God that comes to take away the sin of the world. You can't go to heaven unless your sin has been washed away. The only way for it to be washed away is through and by Jesus Christ, regardless of whatever. we got people out here today that are trying to pretend they've been saved since birth because daddy's a deacon and mama's a this or whatever else. Because daddy's a pastor and mama's a this or whatever. They claim that, oh, well, I, I, man, I've been in church my whole life. Don't matter. So are the pews, but they're not going to heaven. 
The only way you will get in is by being saved, by being born again. And the only way you'll get born again is through faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing else. And I think sometimes if we were really honest about how wicked we are, we'd have more of an impact. Because lost people hear church people talk, Christian people talk, and we talk to them like we've been saved since birth. Man, yeah, I, I do this and I do that. I don't ever do. I don't ever do nothing wrong. That's the way we talk. It's not like really honest and says, you know, I got some sin problems in my life. Man, Jesus saved me anyways. He's such a good, loving God. He's such a God of grace. I didn't deserve it, but man, he saved me anyways. Praise God for it. People could relate more. They would not feel salvation is as hopeless if we would talk, if we'd humble ourselves and talk more about God. See, the writer uses Sarah as an illustration here because God promised Isaac, not Ishmael. Paul is showing us that God's promise has not broken down just because Jews have rejected Christ. In the end, there'll be a lot of Jews who go to a place called hell. Just like there'll be a lot of Gentiles who go to a place called hell. Because they have rejected Jesus Christ. Because Paul is showing us that there's a difference between the patriarchs of faith and the patriarchs of the flesh. When you read through the Old Testament, you see a lot of Jewish rulers. They're not men of faith. They're pagans. They worship gods or false idols and all these things. Those people will never see heaven because they never had faith in God. It's, by, it's through faith we please God. And even as we talked this morning, as God is going to bring these, this, this nation back together, again, it's a nation. It's not every individual. It's a nation. It's a nation of faith. It's a nation of Israel who has repented and turned back to God. And there's only one reason that we can think of for this. And it's the sovereignty of, of an almighty God. And we're going to look at, at Wednesday night at God's mercy and, and his sovereignty. But we're, we, we can't close this, this evening unless we touch on it just, just an ounce. You see, Paul gives us the case here in verses... Uh, at the end of these verses here in 12 and 13, sorry, 11 through 13, where Paul talks about Jacob and Esau. As we look at the story of Jacob and Esau, we see that God decided and he announced that the elder would serve the younger for either had done any good or any bad, any good or any sin that had never been committed. Before any of ever took place, God had made a decision. In fact, the word of God says there, and, and, and it's very, very harsh sounding, but we're going to explain it, we're hoping it makes a little more sense. It says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And if we look to the book of Malachi, look to the book of Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we see a reference to this again. Book of Malachi chapter 1, Verses 1 through 5, as we turn over there. The Bible says, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, 
We are the impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down. They shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, The Lord be magnified from the border of Israel. As we look at the statement that God loved Jacob, but hated Esau, we have to take this as relative rather than absolute. Because he's talking about special blessings that are promised to Esau and his descendants. You see, again, Esau wasn't a better person, or wasn't a, a, a or Jacob wasn't a better person. We're talking about the act of chosen. See, this is not a matter of emotion. Because God even talks about in his word about hating your mother and and being Mother's Day, I want to tell you that you should not hate your mother. You should love your mother and be good to her because she gave you life. But what it's talking about there is choosing. That we should not choose anything over God. And God is talking this here. When we look at what this is written out, it's written out in the words of adoption in the Hebrew time. And basically, when, when a man adopted a son, he had to choose. And the saying was, he loved one and hated the other. But what he's really doing is he's choosing one and not choosing the other. God is choosing Jacob, but not choosing Esau. Sovereignty. God's cho choice. God's divine decision. And we're going to get into this a little bit on Wednesday night, but it says there in verse 14, What shall we say then? Is, God un is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith unto us, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Who are we to question the decision-making of an almighty, righteous, holy God? When we look at mankind, none of us deserves God's blessing. Not one of us. And remember, these are not relational things that we're talking about here. But we are talking about the decision-making of an almighty God. That God is sovereign in his decisions. And God's ways are far greater than our own ways. And we see that when it talks about deciding one or the other, basically he says he chose Jacob that his will, his program, his plan could come together. God does what he does for his purpose. And we, as believers, are to trust God even when it's not always easy. This last few months, I know it's not been easy on anyone. We've been in very uncertain times. The, 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 what we're told changes week to week. One week is to do this, next week is not to do that. One time the day they say it's safe, next day they say uh, it's not safe. And a lot of people are looking to man for answers. When man don't have the answer. And we realize these are things completely out of our control to a certain extent. We, we can mitigate, we can, we can do things to try to protect ourselves, but at the end of the day, they're out of control. I'm here to tell you about something else today that's completely, completely out of your control. And that's the fact that time is drawing closed. Not just for this service, but for time for your life and mine. A time is going to come when we will breathe our last breath here on earth either through death or through the return of our Lord. Either way, that end is going to come. And when that end comes, we are going to be held accountable for what we've done with Jesus Christ. 
where that we accepted that free gift of salvation by placing our faith in him and calling on him for salvation or that where we went the way that a lot of these Israelites went and rejected Christ and die a death and go to a devil's hell because we, we, we made that decision. God does not send a single person to hell. They choose to go there by their own hard-heartedness and stubbornness. When you look at the story of the Pharaoh in the Old Testament, which is what we, we get in this next section of Romans chapter 9, we see that God hardened the Pharaoh's heart. But the Pharaoh also hardened his own heart. The Pharaoh made the decision to reject what God was saying. And because of his continued rejection, because of the foreknowledge of God, God continually hardened his heart as well to use him as an example of his wrath and his judgment. Folks, I don't know about you, but I want to be an example of God's grace. I hope when people look at my life, they say, man, Pastor Justin wasn't perfect. But God handled him with grace. God blessed him abundantly out of mercy. I don't want him ever to say anything good about me. I want him to brag about God. And when, as I get older, I want people to understand that when I go to heaven, I'm not going to go to heaven because I pastored a church or because I was a good Christian or a good husband, a good father, or a good anything else. I'll go to heaven because Jesus Christ died for me and I fully trusted in him for the payment of my sins, for the sacrifice he made for me. If you are listening this evening and you are unsaved, you need to make that decision. This is very serious. Because hell is real. So is heaven. But so is hell. And there's a consequence for sin. There's physical consequences we face every day. But there's an ultimate eternal consequence we face when we are condemned that lake of fire with all those who have rejected Christ, all those who have rebelled against God. But no man has to go there because God provided a way that anyone, that whosoever, can go to heaven. And it's not just about believing up here now. Because the Bible says the devil and the demons believe and tremble. But it's about fully trusting and that word believeth, what we quote all the time in John 3, 16, that's an action word. It means to do something continually. You don't believe and disbelieve, believe and disbelieve. It means you fully believe, fully persuaded, fully trusting, fully committed. When I got married on August 6, 2011, I was fully committed to my wife. I am fully committed today. And I'll be fully committed as long as I'm breathing. When I got saved, it was the same thing with Jesus Christ. I was fully committed that day. I want to ask you this evening, will you commit your life to Christ? Will you believe and trust in Him? That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect every day. None of us are. We all fail every single day. We all fall. We all stumble. But a true Christian gets back up, asks for forgiveness from Almighty God, and continues to walk in obedience Folks, the Bible tells us we are justified by faith as a gift of God. The Bible tells us that God saw mankind in his condition and knew that he had a problem he could not fix on its own. 
So he sent his only begotten son to live a sinless life and die the death that we deserve to die, that we have eternal life and be saved and be forgiven of our sins if we just place our trust and faith in him. So as we close in prayer this evening, I want to ask you and encourage you that wherever you are, if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, that you truly do so. As time is running out, and another moment is not guaranteed. A simple prayer asking the Lord to forgive you and save you. And asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior is more is, is what it takes. So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Most kind, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord. We pray, Lord, especially this evening for those that are unsaved. Lord, our heart is heavy for them, burdened for them. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is dealing with them right now. That they are calling out to you. Lord, we pray if someone's unsure of their salvation, Lord, if they're not saved, we pray, Lord, you remove that assurance. That they would see themselves as they truly are in your eyes spiritually. And that they are unsaved, that they'll get born again. They'll call on you to be saved. Lord, we pray for, uh, for our churches that you would bless them in a mighty way as only you can. We pray, Lord, for... Um, that the nation of Israel, as they have been in a covenant with you, Lord, that they would come to you in faith, Lord, turning back to you. Lord, we pray, Lord, for our leaders in our community and country and state and world, Lord, that um, you would give them the knowledge they need to make the proper decisions, to, um, to do what was best for your people. And we pray, Lord, for... Um, for our church here, Lord, that you would strengthen us and, and help us, Lord, through these trying times. Lord, we thank you for the precious blood that was shed for us on Calvary. Lord, we thank you for our forgiveness, Lord. And we pray, Lord, you forgive us for the times we fail you and may fall short. Help us, Lord, walk more closer to you in obedience every day, Lord. We love you, we thank you, we pray to you for everything, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. If you've called on the Lord to save you this evening and you feel that he has, we encourage you to uh, get a hold of us. Let us talk to you and uh, disciple you, help you grow in your relationship with him. Um, don't forget, Wednesday night, we'll be back on Facebook and YouTube for uh, Bible study and uh, be in prayer for our nation, be in prayer for the world um, during these difficult times. We love you. We miss you. and I hope to be back with you soon. God bless you. And have a wonderful day.